really, I, I became a Christian. I became a, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ, really through music, through singing those uh, first couple years at the college. This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person experiences of faith and belief. On In Good Faith, it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. I'm talking today with Michael Imperial, goes by Pastor Mike. Thank you for coming in today. It's Davis, it's a delight to be here, and thank you for the invitation. It's a great, great opportunity to share together. You're an accomplished musician. You actually have a bachelor's in music from Westminster Choir College in Princeton. Was that your plan, to be a musician? It was. I've loved music ever since I was a really little boy. My earliest memory is sitting under the piano bench as my sister practiced piano, <laughs> you know, and I've loved to sing. And uh, yeah, the privilege to go to a Westminster Choir College was just great. And you had some wonderful performing opportunities too, with some all the time. Names. I mean, we, we we did Mahler symphonies with the New York Philharmonic and Bernstein or Boulez. You know, sang at uh, the Kennedy Center with the National Symphony and uh, Antal Dorati, Philadelphia Orchestra, Pittsburgh Symphony. I mean, just just awesome things. I often say we we, we waste those experiences on young people. <laughs> so to speak, uh, you know, when when it comes to the fourth trip up to New York City to sing again, with, oh, do we have to do this again? <laughs> well, how did that lead you to your life as a pastor? Well, you know, I grew up in a uh, a Roman Catholic Italian family. By the time I was in junior high, high school, it wasn't working for me. It wasn't making much sense to me to to keep doing that. And I sort of, you know, just kind of stepped aside and really music had already become a real focus, you know, for my my enjoyment and participation. But then when I went to Westminster, Westminster does have um, uh, roots in the Presbyterian Church. I didn't even know what a Presbyterian Church was at that point in my life. It's the first time I had ever sung some of the great hymns of the church, wonderful hymn tune arrangements, and then, of course, some of the great choral literature. And so much of choral literature, Western choral literature, is sacred, sacred texts. When those words and the emotions of the music and the grandeur of, or the simple beauty of doing choral music, God just started to just put that together in my own, my own life, in my own mind and heart. And really, I, I became a Christian. I became a, you know, a follower of Jesus Christ, really through music through singing those uh, first couple years at the college. Did you know what that was right away, or did you have to spend time thinking, what's happening to me? What's going on in here? It's a long process. I mean, it, um, it you know goes way back to childhood and then, and then develops from there. But at, at, at Westminster, colleges are so automatic communities. You know, you show up on campus and everybody's in the same boat. You get to know each other. You have, but it's the first time I met, I had real close friends who were authentic Christians. Had a, had a wonderful, winsome faith in Christ. My upbringing was more fear-based, was more stay away or you're going to get cooked, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And so that really began that process of this is something is very attractive to me. And then with the music, the real line in the sand, so to speak, that came was on freshman choir chapel tour. We were doing a hymn tune arrangement of When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. Mm. Yeah, he'd rehearsed it any number of times and had already performed it a number of times, but it was this particular March, I don't forget the date, but it was March of 1971, 
We were singing at uh, First Presbyterian Church in, in Flint, Michigan. And that night when we were singing it, the text just took control of my whole being, if you will. You know, that, that uh, see from his head, his hands and feet, sorrow and love flow mingled down. Wow. I mean, it's just that such a powerful statement. Hmm. And then love so amazing, so divine demands my life, my all at the end. And it's, it's like, I think that's that was the tipping point, if you will, or that was the step across the, the saying, yes, I I trust in this gospel. I trust in this Christ. I trust in this God that I've been hearing about and friends have been telling me about and, and seeing. So, yeah, that's when that all kind of came together. From that early faith and recognition, as you look over the next couple of decades, do you think differently now in some ways than, than you did then? Or is that sort of a shining thread that holds through all of the above? I think both. The shining thread idea, that's beautiful image. Yes, very, very much so. You know, I always hope people will continue to tell their story no matter how old it is or how many times they've told it or mm. – uh, I remember uh, uh, Corey Tenboom, who was a, a person who was in the the sheltering of Jewish people in Nazi Germany, and she survived a concentration camp, you know. And she got to a place she was very well known and toured all over the world, telling her story. And then every once in a while, she'd say, "You know, I'm, I'm, God, I'm can you give me another story? I'm getting kind of tired of saying this one over and over." And God basically says, "No, no, no. This is the story I gave you." And that's the story he gave me. And so, yes, I, I don't tire of telling that one. In terms of how you think, I mean, you just grow. You grow and mature, you know, in your, your understanding of Scripture, your sense of what it means to live as a, a Christian person. With all the depth of knowing our need for Christ, constantly always knowing our need for God's forgiveness in our lives, but then being able to accept that. We all have our self-doubts that go again and again and again and again, yes. you know. But I, I really have to say to myself and to my congregants as well, really, I need to view myself as a forgiven person. A forgiven person. I mean, that's that's really meant to be totally freeing and totally open then to all of the the God possibilities in life. It's sort of interesting to think about for, for you to be able to be a pastor, which, as I understand it, means shepherd, really. That's right, yeah. Of of a congregation, a flock, following the good shepherd. What kind of responsibility do you feel, and maybe you've explained some of that just now, about what you have to do for yourself in your own walk to be able to be that and do that for other people? It can be a, a dynamic tension. I mean, I'll have my own reading that I will do or, or a, a fellowship group with other pastors, prayer time alone, you know, devotional life. The difficulty with being a, quote, professional Christian <laughs> is when I'm engaged in personal growing and edification for faith, my mind sometimes or maybe even always goes to how can I use this in the ministry rather than just receiving it just for me. So you try to do those things that keep your own spiritual life healthy and vibrant, even in the difficult times in life. And there are many of those, of course. But yeah, I think maybe that's what a shepherd does. It's just you're always looking out for the sheep. You know, you're always thinking anything you learn, anything you, know, you experience. Right. How can, how, can I, how can I nurture, shelter, protect, 
challenge uh, members of my congregation to grow in their own faith. I think there must have been times when you must have seen the light go on for people the same way it went on for you. Many times, and also very surprising times. But it's it's an amazing delight when you see that happen, because it's it's really is it's such a special thing. In one of my former congregations, there's a 75 year old man who just started coming to the church. He had been in the Presbyterian Church all his life. And it was during our Lenten season before Easter, and I was talking about the atonement, talking about, you know, Jesus taking our place on the cross in his death and resurrection is the means by which we are forgiven and given eternal life, new life. And I remember this man coming up to me with tears in his eyes after one of these Wednesday night conversations with a small group of people. And he just said, Pastor Mike, I've I've never heard that before. And it's just... It's just totally transforming the way I think about my whole life. And you just go, oh, yikes. <laughs> and it's not me. You know, when people say after church, you know, that was a good sermon, Pastor, or whatever, I almost always say, you know, I don't make this stuff up. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, you know, you, you, you read a passage of Scripture, yep. and you then articulate, well, what does it say here? Trying to apply it to everyday life, of course. But, you know, it's like... I don't make this stuff up. We're coming up on uh, doing a sermon on salt, the salt and light passage. You know, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And to think that God is saying to you or to me as followers of Christ, our main task is to be salt, preserve the truth of God, the gospel, and be light, proclaim it. So that's those are the two important things, preserve the truth and share it with the world. Again, I didn't make that up. It's right there. Yes. My experience is that belief in God, it's not like turning on the stove to a certain temperature and it just stays there. Right. That there is sort of a little bit of a waxing and waning and a strengthening and then I won't say a fading, but maybe a time where you're maybe on your own a little bit to experience. And I'm wondering, or what are the times when you say, this makes me feel that God is working in my life? What are those things or those moments? I think when you see it in other people, you know, that you know. I mean, whether it was whether it was with my my children when they were young or or now as all grown adults and or members of the church or people you just happen to meet or associate with otherwise uh, in life, um when you see that kind of stuff happening in people's lives, it's just so refreshing. You know, just like, wow. God really is at work. God's God is sovereign. God is going to be God. Regardless of whether I feel up or down, <laughs> you know, uh, whether I'm having a good day or bad day, you know, the Lord is still the Lord. And there are many scriptures that, that talk about how God will use everything. He will make creative and redemptive use of everything in the world and in our lives, personally, uh, in families, in countries even. You know, you look at the history of the world, how God has, has made amazing things happen in the midst of all kinds of situations. How do you think you are different? Or can you even tell? Has it been that long? How are you different uh, because you believe in a power bigger than yourself? Well, let's just go to music for a minute. I mean, until I was in college and even beyond college, music was really all about me. You know, aren't I good? I just performed, you mm. know, pat myself on the back. 
people are clapping, applauding. And even as a musician, then you have this perfectionistic attitude. Well, well, you know, thank you. Yes, I, I'm glad you enjoyed the performance, but I know all the mistakes I made. You know, I, I know how it should have been better than that. No matter what level, it's always feels like that. There's always, well, really, I really blew it there. What has changed is who my audience is. My audience, the choir at our church, the the band at our church, even our congregation in worship, I try to get them to understand that God is our audience. Mm. You know, that we are singing, we are praying, we are praising, sharing in fellowship and kindness with each other. And God is the one that we offer all of that to. And the wonderful thing about offering ourselves to God, we don't have to be perfect. We don't even have to try to be perfect. In fact, it's counterproductive to try to be perfect. Offer yourself to God as you are. And so when, when I do a, a piece of music myself or our choir, I say, you know, on a given Sunday, we've rehearsed, we've put it together. What comes out is what's going to come out, and we make that as an offering with all of its blemishes that we might know. <laughs> you know, and, and even there have been times, it's rare, um, that a, a piece will fall apart, you know, publicly. I don't have any problem with having a piece fall apart publicly and say to everybody, hey, that just fell apart. Isn't that amazing? We're going to start again. Let's, let's, start, let's do this again. Not make it so serious that it's devastating, you know, to the yeah. singers or to the audience, you know. The fact of our humanity has to be acknowledged. Absolutely. In fact, that's really one of the first steps of coming to faith is acknowledging our need, which, of course, in most of our culture, we don't, we don't see that happen very often. As we grow up, we're really pretty much taught to excel and get better and get better and get better and somehow reach some level of competency or excellence. But... In, even those who, who make it, there are pastors and there are, I mean, seminary professors, lecturers that I've heard that I think, oh, man, they are just so brilliant. What in the world am I doing in here, <laughs> you know? And yet I'm sure that they, they must feel it also. When I think, I think of myself oftentimes as I'm just a, a regular person. I'll even say I'm mediocre. That's kind of, you know, pejorative and a downer. But God would say, no, 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 you're not, you're not mediocre, yeah, you're a common, regular person, but in Christ, you have the riches. You have the riches of the kingdom of heaven that are meant to lift you up and, and, and give you blessings that are beyond what this world can offer. So what has changed are those perspectives change sometimes immediately, sometimes it takes a little time, and sometimes I need to learn it again. I'm a slow learner. You know, you ever have that feeling like God is trying to teach you something and you, you kind of get it and then, no, then something else comes, oh, okay, all right, thanks, God, I'll try again. And it, it can go on for This is when we're glad that, time. that patience is one of the divine attributes. Well, yeah. <laughs> and, of course, I tell people never pray for patience. That's a bad idea. Never pray for patience because God will give you stuff that you need to be patient with. <laughs> I'm wondering if there are things that have been hardest for you to deal with, or maybe questions you've just had to say, I might just have to take this little section on faith because I don't know, or in dealing with moments of doubt. You know, I don't think I've had much difficulty with, with believing doctrines or what Scripture says or teaches. It's more working with 
each other, we human beings. I'm kind of like Charlie Brown who says, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. (laughs) (laughs) Because being a pastor is very challenging because every congregation, every gathering of, of believers or seekers or people are just coming to see what's happening here, you're all over the map in terms of the burdens that people have borne in their lives that you, you have no idea about, the self-image that people have, whether robust uh, in a good way or braggadocio in another, or whether they're really feeling totally rejected or totally unworthy of anything. You know, you don't know. As you speak and as you in- interact with people, you see the, the frailties of humanity, of, of the human condition, play itself out sometimes in ways that are hurtful. And you go, oh, my gosh, you know, is there a way that we can work with this together and work it through in a good way? Sometimes it happens. Sometimes it doesn't. You know, and when it doesn't, it's kind of like, oh, as a person, you just go home feeling, Lord, I can't do this on my own. You know that. (laughs) Help. How about being a parent? Has that had an effect on your belief or is that just another way of sharing belief? No, I think I think being a parent has um, really reinforced a lot of one's understanding of the world, understanding of God, understanding of Christ. You know, I should mention that you have three children. Have three kids, right? Right there. Mostly they're grown. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're they're coming up on thirty four, thirty one, and twenty eight. So yeah, and they're 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 wonderful, wonderful people. Love them, love them dearly. But you know, even when you have young children, it's very clear that the human condition starts at the very beginning. I mean, what's the first word that most children learn? No, <laughs> no, and the I don't power, like that. The power they feel when they oh, get that. Oh, that's right. No, I'm not doing that. I'm not going where you want me to go. I'm not eating that, etc. Parenting is what's why we refer to God as our heavenly father. God understands what children are like. <laughs> and um, he has enough of them. He sure does. And, and, and works and works with us. You know, there's discipline involved. There's loving care, there's a gentle touch, there's a little spank, there's a challenge in redirection. The difficulty with being a human parent, of course, is that we, we, we also are still in a sinful state and we make mistakes. You know, we go too far or, no, or don't go far enough. And so, you know, you, you work with that. And at this point in my life, you know, you look back and I say, you know, I mean, was I a good dad? Well, Yes, uh, no, uh, mostly, uh, you know, et cetera. Because you work in the community with various denominations and congregations, over time, do you see an increase in willingness for people of different faiths to work together for some community good? Is that a constant? Sometimes I think I see more of that happening. No, I think the uh, ecumenical movement that was very prominent beginning in the 1940s and it has extended since – I think good people do want to work together for common good. There's still, unfortunately, there still is sort of a fortress mentality sometimes that, you know, my church and my congregation is what I need to rally around and protect or keep focused on ourselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not the greatest thing. That happens from congregation to congregation or even religion to religion. But Depending on what's going on in the world around us, yeah, there are times when we do want to get together and help in some community service, some human plight that needs addressing or just needs help. 
I don't know if they're opposite things, but I'll call it that, which is what is it about having a congregation meeting together on Sunday and having some type of observance or ritual that puts you in touch with God? And then on the other hand, what is it when you're not even there, just kind of out living your life or on the street or shopping or whatever it might be? What is it during those times that you can reach for God and make some sort of contact? I think it comes in in trying to be aware of what's going on around you. We like to call this having people eyes, hmm. seeing people, you know, so, okay, you go to a coffee shop or Starbucks or a restaurant or a, you know, um, a place to eat or whatever. Just be aware of the people around you that there may be people around you who are really struggling with something. And so when you do bump into someone or when there's some um, contact, and in our culture, often it's a confrontative kind of contact, get out of my way kind of thing, you know, or <laughs> don't cut me off like that or I'll get right back at you, those kinds of things. I think that's where faith is meant to come in to make a, a good difference. Sometimes I can, I'm aware of it and, and can make good use of that. Uh, other times I'm not. And the times that I'm not, you kind of go home that night and you go, oh, man, I can't believe I said that. <laughs> or I can't believe I didn't respond in a, in a more gentle way or redirective way. That's what Jesus meant by turn the other cheek. Mm -hmm. I mean, he did not literally mean just let people smack you on one side and then the other. What he means is when you find yourself in an awkward or a confrontation of some kind in life, be creative. Try to find a way to understand the other person and enter their world and maybe ask or apologize or whatever and say, you know, I'm, you know, I'm really sorry I wasn't thinking, you know, please, it, my bad, rather mm. than reattack, you know. Defend yourself defend at all costs. Defend yourself, right, exactly. Have you ever found that being a believer, especially if you're a pastor, that's kind of like wearing a badge? <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I am a believer. Have there ever been times that that has caused any difficulty in society for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um, for instance, I think when I look back, when I was a young Christian, just a, I was a music teacher, you know? Mm -hmm. I know I taught music, I coached sports, et cetera, that kind of stuff. I think I was way more effective as a Christian person then than I sort of became when I became a pastor. People expect a pastor to be religious, so to speak. Hmm. They expect a pastor to be a certain way, whatever their image is. The way I, I laugh at it all the time is when I, if I'm doing a wedding and I'm invited to the reception, the big question has got to be, where are we going to seat the pastor? <laughs> you know, with great Aunt Millie, you know, uh, or or with somebody, you know, that he can have conversation or whatever. I'm sure it's like, uh-oh. Or when you go to a, a Christmas party and, oh, pastor, yeah, oh, here's the, – the, the punch is over here. Of course, they don't tell you about the, 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 the spirits on the other table. Like, like really? <laughs> I, think, I think people get shocked when I, when I curse. I mean, or when I use a word um, – sometimes I'll use a word intentionally in a, a situation to make a point. But sometimes the people will, will gasp at that and you go, no, 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 no. Pastors don't do that. Well, no, actually they do. <laughs> Ask my kids anytime I was, you know, anytime I was painting or putting wallpaper up in the house, they know 
that I had to say the all the appropriate words to make it work, if you know what I mean. If you had uh, just a few minutes and you thought, well, I'm going to have a little bit of a, a personal devotional here. So here are my scriptures, and I'm I'm going to pick one chapter or two chapters and or a little section and, and kind of reconsider them. Are there favorites, little moments that you would go to? I, I think yes. Yeah, I mean, you, you do become accustomed to certain passages that you know are there, have had great meaning and still do. It's an amazing thing about God's Word how you can read the same passage 20 times over the course of five years and still read it with a fresh insight or understanding. Yeah, It's really pretty amazing. I, th- I think several passages in Paul's letters I'll go to, um, certainly the Gospels, um, certainly the parables in the Old Testament, some of the... Uh, I think I'm trying to even narrow it down and say, do you right, have right a favorite? Right now will I go. Do you okay. have a favorite? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it might yeah. be this week or, well, or, or something from 20 years ago that has just never left you. Uh, well, I think a favorite of mine is Isaiah 55 that says, The word that goes forth from my mouth will not return to me empty. It'll accomplish the purpose for which I've sent it. And the idea there is, you know, Lord, you are amazing. When you speak in your word to people or to groups or families, whatever, you are active. You are, you are in my life. You are doing things with me, for me, through me in ways that I may not see even in this lifetime, but I hopefully will see in the hereafter and go, wow, that was incredible. But when God's word is shared, when it's read, when it's proclaimed, it will accomplish God's purposes. That's such an assurance, you know, that, like I say, when I preach on Sunday mornings, I get up with a fair amount of confidence, you know, that not what I've constructed is all that brilliant. People will come up and say, you know, boy, that was particularly meaningful to me. So, you see, it's not in my, it's not in my purview to make something happen or not. God does it. God does it in all kinds of different ways. That's a very strong foundation, that scripture that you mentioned, that can give you confidence with when you're dealing and sharing with the Word of God, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. And the, and the rest of that chapter is, it, read, read Isaiah 55. It's, it's just an amazing piece of uh, prophecy, which prophecy, you know, is, is really truth-telling. That's what prophets do mostly, is just tell it the way it is, you know, plus or minus. But in this case, you know, that's the same passage that God says, you know, my ways are higher than your ways. Just as the rain and the snow fall from the heaven and don't return without nurturing, you know, that's what my word is like. Or the same passage says, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found, right? Call on him. When you think of it, do it. Don't put it off, you know? Hmm. I'll attend to religion later in my life, you know, when I need it. No, no, no. When it occurs to you, you know, that God is... That sounds like approaching you. It sounds respond. like open the door while someone's knocking because they're there. Yes, yes. And they might not be later. That's right. <laughs> well, it's the famous painting. In fact, it's one of our stained glass windows in church with Jesus knocking on a door. Behold, behold, this is Revelation 3. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And of course, the painting does not have a door handle on the outside of the door. You assume there's only a door handle inside and only the person inside can open the door. Behold, I stand and knock. If anyone opens the door, I'll come in. I'll come in and we'll, we'll sit down and, well, the traditional word is we'll sup together. Let's have a meal together. Let's, let's go out for coffee. Let's go out for a snack. Let's, you know, but I'll come in. I'll, I'll be in your life. 
Two final questions here for you. Do you think there is some fundamental difference, or have you noticed one, between people who believe or seem to be willing to believe in God and people who either aren't willing or, though they may be, just don't feel that they do? That's a huge question because it it really sets up the, the typical tension between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. In other words, like I said, God is God. He's going to do what he's going to do, whether I enter into that life or not. He invites us. God constantly invites us, come on in, come on in, be part of it, you know, pick it up, pick it up, you know, be, make this part of your life. But you don't have to. But God's going to, he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. Like when Jesus said, you know, if you don't praise God, these, these stones by the side of the road will, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's really a matter of, I think, personality, upbringing, experiences in life that either draw people to or push people away within their own self, of course, uh, from God. So, And sometimes the same experience, two different people might oh, yes. react and become closer or more distant. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, especially tragic things, you know, the big question, why? Yes. Well, people answer that in different ways, you know. Um, you know, God doesn't care about me, so forget about him. Or wow, God's doing some things here that I could never have done on my own. What should I ask you that I don't know to ask you? Oh, my goodness. Well, I'm not going to tell you that. (laughs) (laughs) Or anything that that you'd like covered that we haven't. I hope that people will identify themselves, if they're people of faith, as just followers of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as a Presbyterian person. I am not a Presbyterian. I'm the pastor of a Presbyterian church. That just describes how the church is organized, you know, how we do things mm-hmm. historically as this kind of being a church. There are different ways of being a church. I don't think there's a such thing as a Roman Catholic or a Mormon or a, you know, Seventh-day Adventist or each of those describes the church. This is how the church is organized and put together. It has its history. It has its own development, etc. But the person, you know, uh, being Presbyterian is not, it's not an ethnic group, you know. (laughs) Um, You know, I'm just, I'm a person, and I hope others see themselves as a person created by God, blessed by Jesus Christ with his mercy and forgiveness and grace, and people who simply want to, you know, walk in faith, live out a life that that God God enjoys um, and that we enjoy as well. With all of its problems, I mean, I'm not saying none, none of us is going to escape tribulation and hardship and whatever, uh, or failures, but to know that, that there is a God who, who loves us unconditionally and shows it again and again and again. Michael J. Imperial is senior pastor at the First Presbyterian Church in Salt Lake City since May of 2001. Pastor Mike, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Well, it's been a great pleasure and privilege. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for tuning in to In Good Faith. In the second half of the show, Pastor Mike will favor us with the hymn he mentioned that figured into his conversion and a discussion with a panel of listeners on some of the ideas he brought up. Back in a moment with more of In Good Faith.
This is In Good Faith, listening to first-person accounts and stories of faith and belief. In the first half of the show, we heard an interview with Pastor Mike Imperial. From the outset, he mentioned the role music had played in his conversion to Christ. In particular, the hymn by Isaac Watts, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. We asked Pastor Mike if he wouldn't mind picking up his guitar and singing it for us, with, it turns out, a bit of a contemporary twist. When I survey the wondrous cross On which the Prince of Glory died My richest gain I count but loss When the poor contempt on all my pride See from his head, his hands, his feet Sorrow and love flow such love and sorrow meet or thorns come for so rich a crown oh the wonderful cross oh the wonderful cross bids me come and die and find that I May truly live Oh, the wonderful cross Oh, the wonderful cross All who gather here By grace draw near And bless your name Were the whole realm of nature that were an offering far too small Love so amazing, so divine Demands my soul, my life, my all Bids me come and die And find that I may truly live Oh, the wonderful cross Oh, the wonderful cross All who gather here By grace draw near And bless your name When I survey the wondrous cross. When I survey the wondrous cross, performed by Pastor Mike Imperial. Does music reach you spiritually? We invited a few folks to listen to the interview and share their thoughts. Ciara Hewlett is studying broadcast journalism. She's one of our assistant producers here at BYU Radio. 
Ken Craig is from California and Hawaii, has eight children, and works for LDS Philanthropies. Steve Taggart is a father of five and grandfather of eight. He's an associate dean at BYU and a former LDS mission president. Chelsea Armstrong is from Texas, a prospective law student studying political science and Portuguese. Once they listened to Pastor Mike, the discussion started right in. I love how Pastor Mike started by talking about music and how that influenced his faith and really started a lot of his faith in God and his Christianity. I love music ever since I was really little. When he talked about how in Michigan he was on this choir tour and there was this one specific song that he talked about, Love So Amazing, So Divine, Demands My Life, My All, that song was his tipping point. And I was going through a really hard time last year. And I remember listening to this one song by David Archuleta. It's glorious. And I would listen to that song over and over and over again. That really helped me through that hard time and helped me remember my faith in God and in Christ and reconnected me back to God when I was going through those hard times. So music has always been a very had a very special place in my heart as well in in religiously. I think music has a powerful ability to connect people from all backgrounds and all cultures, all experiences. We can feel and sense the same things on a human level. My mother was a piano teacher. I'm one of 11 children and at night she would start out playing a a march and then she'd say now go off to bed, and she'd get progressively softer until she ended with a lullaby. And so when I hear beautiful music, it just reminds me of those wonderful personal experiences. Yeah, I love that he started off with music, too. I think there's such, as you were saying, Steve, there's a universal appeal to it that can, I think that most people can relate to. I'm sure there are some that don't have a, that that's not one of their faith languages, but I think it is a very has a very universal effect on us and bringing us... Uh, closer to God, and I've—I think we've all had, uh, you know, our own personal trials. I, I recently, in the past few years, was in sort of a financial uh, crisis, and um, sitting in a church meeting one time and singing this this old hymn, uh, "Praise to the Lord, the Almighty." And uh, there, in verse three, it says, "Praise to the Lord who doth prosper thy way and defend thee. Surely His goodness and mercy shall ever attend thee. Ponder anew what the Almighty can do." who with his love doth befriend me. Boy, I just felt my faith, just so, so much reassurance in that moment, kind of like uh, Pastor Mike was talking about in, when he was singing in Flint, Michigan, in that text of, uh, of that, when I survey the wondrous cross, was just he just felt this trust in God, and it kind of touched his soul. And, and I, I, that was a moment for me where I felt reassured. I'm known, and things will be okay. Yeah, that was a... A pivotal moment for me. I definitely agree with that. And I think that's a great lead in to how music can be such an influential part of our lives and how it can lead to us trusting and having greater faith in Christ and this gospel. Such as when he said, I trust in this gospel, I trust in this Christ. And independent of any self-doubt that we have or independent of any trials that we're going through, music is a great way to help um, comfort us when we need to be comforted or strengthen the faith that we have or remind us of the things that we already know. And I think that it's really important also when he stated that uh, every single one of us needs to view ourselves as a forgiven person. And going along with self-doubt, sometimes we view ourselves and we think that we aren't sufficient. And the way that Pastor Mike was talking was reminding all of us 
that every single one of us has our self-worth and that we do need to trust in the gospel. We do need to trust in Christ. And through those things that we're able to be forgiven and be a forgiven person as well. Following up on that, I loved where he said that we offer ourselves to God as we are. When I hear people talking about being inadequate, I like to replace it with still learning because I think we're still learning. We're not less than we need to be. We're just still learning. And I think if we offer what we have to God, that's really all he asks of us. And going along with that, Pastor Mike said that that once we learn, we need to share our stories with others. I loved what he said about Corey Tenboom and how she was sharing her story over and over and over again. And But that's her story, and she needs to share it with everyone because I think a lot of times we forget that we're all going through hard times and we're all learning, we're all imperfect, especially with with social media today. Like, it's the worst. You get on Instagram and you're like, oh my gosh, everyone's life is so perfect. But they're not. And so that's why we need to share our stories. And and I have a friend who is recently trying to, whenever he posts something, he kind of tells a story behind the picture of like what was going on in his life that day, how he didn't want to get up and go running, you know, how he didn't want to do this or whatever. And I just, I love that. We need to connect with each other on on a deeper level. Who's to say that our own experiences aren't ours in order to share them, right? I mean, how often are we benefited by someone else showing sympathy or empathy because of having a similar experience or a similar trial that you can, you're strengthened by hearing how they handled it or how things weren't perfect and it resonates with you. And yeah, when those come to us, we we can note those, we can mark those. And so later on, we have the opportunity to share that story with with somebody else to help to benefit them. I had one of those experiences as a young man where I read a, a biography of someone that was well-known and well-respected. And in the biography, he talked about his own struggles and his own journey of becoming. And I thought, maybe there's hope for a guy like me. And I think when we're real and human, we engender that hope in others. Those aren't usually the stories you're going to hear on in social media. Yeah, so no, right. definitely the face-to-face is better for them. <laughs> yeah. I know not everybody in here is a parent, but one of the things I really liked uh, that Pastor Mike mentioned was kind of the reinforcement of understanding that comes with that um, with that opportunity as a parent. I can remember um, uh, my son Connor when he was maybe three uh, or four, and he had done something you know that frustrated me, something that was not okay, and I sent him to his room and then forgot that he was there and um until it was just too quiet for too long. And I thought, oh, no. So I, I went in there, and, and I, I realized I had been too hard on him. I, I mean, I had probably overreacted to what had, what had happened, and I, and I felt badly about that. And so I, didn't, I, I just picked him up and held him, and I said, uh, do you know that I love you? And he said, yeah. And I said, how do you know that? And he said, because you're my dad. And I felt like I learned so much about having this heavenly father in that moment because I thought I'm loved because he's my father, even when I've been sent to my room or sent myself to my room. I'm loved. Um, I am known because he is my father. He loves me because he is my father, not because I've done something to earn it. And so I learned a great deal about deity by being a a dad. And so... uh, when uh, Pastor Mike talked about that, I thought, oh, I, I know exactly what he's saying. That's, I've felt that. 
I think one of the most powerful things we can do as parents is to do what you did to reach out to your child when maybe you've gone too far, you've made a mistake, and let them see that you're not perfect, that you're human, but that you're willing to repent, to go back to that theme, and and to do what you can to progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not a, not a parent, but... <laughs> do you have some? <laughs> yes, I have parents. <laughs> um, but I, that kind of reminded me of what he was talking about, how God is in everything. And when you share his word, he's part of everything. And, and so, you know, as a parent, you don't know always, always what you're doing and you make mistakes, but, but God is perfect and he's, he's above everything. And, and that scripture in Isaiah 55, that the word will not return to me empty. And, you know, there's so many times that we go through life and we make so many mistakes, but it's so comforting to know that, that God is in the details and he's working things out. And and my mom always says that there's no such thing as coincidences, but just divine signatures. And so God is in the details, but a lot of times it's hard to see. Yeah, I like that when he talked about the, um, even in the mundane or the minutia of each day, how do you see, how do you see God? And Pastor Mike said, well, you, you look in the faces of those around you. You can see God's work in the life of the lives of those around you, and and even the way that we should approach them, if we are, if we're exercising faith, if we're followers of Christ, should be to. Well, he didn't say assume the best about them, but try to understand that they're going through hard things. And I recently read a quote about that, where it was, uh, "If you treat each person you come in contact with as if they are struggling with something profound, you'll be right more than fifty percent of the time." And how that's not a cynical approach, it's actually a, a wise and, and helpful approach. In it, it, It's easier to love somebody when, when, you, when you see that they uh, are vulnerable and, and when we, we're all that way. And so I always like it when someone gives me the benefit of the doubt, when someone uh, assumes the best about me even if I'm not acting my best um, and uh, to approach other people that way. I think that's, I think that's charity. I think that is being a disciple of Christ is looking for the good and and everybody around us. So I like that. I like that too. I like how he said that uh, we should just define ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ. I had an experience as a young man where I grew up in a pretty sheltered environment, and my dad asked me to go to work with him one day. He says, "We're going to go to lunch with a man who of another faith." He says, "I don't want you to be shocked because he's not of our faith." But he's a good man. I found that people who love God and who try to follow him are good people. And I think if we just define ourselves as followers of Jesus Christ, that we can break down some of the barriers that divide us and prevent us from coming together and helping one another in ways that we all need. Yeah, I definitely agree. I love what he said about having people eyes and how we just need to be aware of other people and try to make everyone's lives just a little bit better and this kind of reminds me of what he said about how like before in music he would perform you know for himself or he would um, think about all the mistakes he made but now God is his audience and and people are his audience you know helping others and it reminded me of um, right now I'm in a musical the Adams Family and and 
before the show started, me and one of my best friends, we went backstage and we just said a prayer together that we, you know, basically gave our performance to God, you know, just said, hey, we want to make this the best experience for the people that come here that when they leave, they can just be a little bit, a little bit lighter, a little bit happier, a little more jovial, just to make their lives just a little bit better. And that's, that's why I love theaters, because it just makes people's lives a little bit better. And so if we all could do that, you know, just try to do something to, to help the people around us. Yeah, giving of yourself for for the betterment or the upliftment of somebody else. I like them. I love the thought that God is our audience. If you think of a little child, I have a 16-month-old grandson who his most adoring audience is his parents. And I think God is like that. If we perform for him, then we know that he's not there to criticize us, to catch us in our faults and our failings, but to celebrate us and to cheer us on. I don't know if this is um, a subject that anyone else has insight or, or input on. Towards the end, um, when Pastor Mike referred to, he said, uh, when you think of it, do it. And, uh, and he referenced that, the painting of, of Christ on the outside of the, of the door, well-known painting, and there's no door handle. So Christ can knock, but the assumption is that the, the door handle is on the inside. And so it's up to the individual, to each of us, to open that door. And uh, that call to action of when if, if you think of it, do it is that is a lifelong. I feel like I have prayed for that strength most of my life. I am I am not great at oh I'm gonna respond to that quickly. I have a son who um, uh, my son Garen is uh, 17, and he is very good at that. And I I admire slash envy his ability to. Um, uh, and these are just some of the things he shared with me. He got recently was uh, got a job at a um, restaurant. And so while he's there at work, he can drink all the soda he wants for free. And so after the first week, he said, I'm just not going to drink soda at work anymore because I don't want to be that guy that's drinking soda all day. <laughs> and that may seem like a small thing, but I admired that he was like, that's not what I want to do or who I want to be. So I'm just going to stop. And I may or may not have had a soda in my hand when he said that to me, but um, <laughs> but he uh, there's been other things where I've seen him. You know, I'm not going to watch that show anymore. I don't feel great when it's over. Or and he just is very good at saying, "I know how I want to feel. I know what I want to do. And if this isn't aligning with that, then I then I won't." And so I think when it comes to our faith, to to be able to say, "I'm going to do this," or "I'm not going to do this," and to be able to act on it, like like Pastor Mike was uh, was challenging or inviting, you know, followers of Christ to do. I think what a great strength, what a great characteristic to have as part of your as part of your character. I have never, I guess, acted on something I felt like I needed to act on and then regretted it when it's always been a good thing. Good point, yeah. And yeah. I, I have countless examples of that. Like when I'm sitting in a restaurant and I'm eating my food and all of a sudden this group of young girls walks in and I have a feeling like I should go tell them that they're beautiful and I don't really know why and they're strangers and that might be weird, but I do it anyway. And even if, let's say that thought didn't come from God, it's still something that's nice. And I think that when we have thoughts that are contributing to other people around us or even ourselves, exactly not drinking soda or watching certain TV shows or doing whatever. Um, independent of where those thoughts come from, you should always act on them. And we can't attribute any good thoughts to ourselves because all good things from come, come from God, right? But I think that's really amazing. That's great, Jules. One thing I um, related to in this this topic is he was always talking, he talked about how 
God is constantly inviting us, like the painting, but people have experiences that either draw or push them away from God. And particularly the one question, why, is one that, that blocks people from, from letting Christ in. And like I mentioned earlier that I had this really difficult experience that I went through uh, last year and why was a really big question for me. I was like, why do I have to go through this? Why is this happening to me? Why do I not, you know, why is my life so bad right now? And the thing is, is that that darkness can pull you down, but you just have to, it's a really hard thing and a lot of people go through, but you have to find that light at the end of the tunnel, you know, and and you can't let that that question of why drag you down. Why is a question that'll drive us crazy? <laughs> because so often we can't answer it. So I prefer to ask, what now? What now? You know, back to Chelsea's comment about never feeling bad about acting on a feeling that came. There, a person I really admire said, never suppress a generous thought. I think that's a a lovely way to live your life, to act on those generous thoughts, to, to just do. The longer we wait, the harder it is to act. The quicker we act, the easier it becomes. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, that which we persist in doing becomes easier to do. Not that the nature of the thing has changed, but that our ability to do is increased. And it's that acting quickly that increases our ability and and it makes life so much more meaningful. Yeah, I think the that a lot of times, especially in, in our time, we don't want to act like we have, you know, this constant, like, instant gratification all the time. So in our generation, at least, you know, people are always like, oh, millennials, you know, but <laughs> the, we have to open the door. It's an action, you know, and that's how God works is through action. But a lot of times that, it can be really hard to do that. Um I, as well, was going through a pretty hard time. Like, for example, just one week in my life, I had five midterms, three papers, and I worked 60 hours. And my friend had a baby who's in the hospital, so I was visiting her every day. And just I was only getting like two hours of sleep a night. And I just remember instead of turning to God and being like, help me, I was climbing this mountain alone and I was saying, watch me. Like, look what I can do. And I just remember the like the weight that was lifted off of my shoulders and the difference I was able to feel when I said, help me climb this mountain. And just the difference how we can have letting them open the door or opening that door to let him into our lives and then trusting him as well. I love uh, when Pastor Mike said that one way to approach the experiences we have is, is this God is doing something I could never have done on my own. That uh, sometimes we experience difficult things. We always often experience difficult things. But to that perspective, I thought was really refreshing. God is doing some things that I could never have done on my own. Yeah, and how he said that sometimes we won't ever know until after this life. And so we just have to have to have trust and faith that what we're going through and experiencing is is benefiting us and benefiting those around us as well. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for our panel, Reed Wolfley and Marcus Smith for engineering support, and we're especially grateful to Pastor Mike Imperial for his thoughtfulness and generosity in sharing with us. 
In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds tell about their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. We hope you found value in today's conversation, and we welcome your thoughts and ideas about the program. Reach out to us anytime by emailing ingoodfaith at byu.edu. Find this and all past programs archived online for listening or sharing at byuradio.org slash ingoodfaith. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join with us again soon, right here in Good Faith.